Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Amanda Bible Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. And that was our brand new intro. Hey, how about that? Well, here's what happened. It occurred to us that some of you find us, find She Reads Truth through the podcast, and you may not know what we're doing here. Yeah. So there it is. We are still going to open God's Word. Every day. Find beauty, goodness, and truth there. And talk about it. But hopefully that new little intro will be a help. Help be clear that we do a whole thing, even beyond the podcast, especially beyond the podcast. And we just hope that this podcast is an invitation and a starting point for reading the Bible the rest of the week. Absolutely. Rachel, we're glad you're back. Who's with us today? We are joined today, Amanda, by Louis Giglio. I I said that twice already. Sorry. I know. Well, listen, I'm very excited about this episode. It is week three of our This is the Church series. Y'all, Louis Giglio, if you don't know who he is, his credentials are great. He is the pastor of Passion City Church. He's the original visionary of the Passion Movement. He just released a new book in March called At the Table with Jesus, which is a follow-up to a recent book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, which he will talk about in this episode. Credentials aside, Amanda and I were so grateful for Mm -hmm. this conversation with Louis Giglio. He is a man who loves God's Word, loves the church, and loves his Bible. And the hour went so fast. It's going to go fast for you to listen to it a couple of times. Grab a notebook. It is a beautiful conversation. Let's get right to it. Louis Giglio, welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast. (laughs) It's awesome to be on with you guys. Thanks for the invite. I'm really thrilled. Oh, absolutely. We are so happy that you made time to talk with us today. Okay, I had to look back to make sure that my memory was correct, but I was looking to see how long Passion Conference has been in existence, the movement, and I thought I remembered this right. The first one was my sophomore year in college, and I was that, was that right? Is it 97? 97, January 1st, 1997, Austin, Texas. That's yeah, okay, incredible. Texas. That was going to be my next question. And I did not go, but I was in southern Alabama at the time, and we heard, like, it was like the rumblings came all the it. way from Texas to Alabama because we were very aware of what was happening. And oh, that's cool. It was just really cool. And so I was thinking about passion and you, you know, as we were preparing to talk about the church with a capital C today. And I wondered, you know, you have had this really unique front row seat to God working specifically in, well, God working in a lot of places, mm-hmm. but God working specifically in the hearts and lives of college students now over a couple of decades. Yeah. Like, what has that taught you about the Capital C Church, watching that up close? That it's good, uh, it's growing, it's um, unstoppable. <laughs> that <laughs> Hallelujah. It's God's plan Lord. and Jesus' promise. And when you said that a minute ago, it struck a, a nerve in me, Amanda, that I just took me back for a minute, and it's hard, <laughs> I think, for a lot of people maybe listening to us that are a little bit younger than I am to know and understand that there was a time in life that news had to travel. So you were in That's southern right. Alabama, and you couldn't just click on your phone and see a picture of what was happening at Passion. Nope. Something happened, and then the news spread. And ah, it was so powerful because this is pre-everything. you know, everything. Mm-hmm. And 2,000 students showed up in Austin for what we just prayed God would do something. And the next year, 5,000 came, uh, mm-hmm. no marketing really. And the next year, 11,000 came. The fourth year, 40,000 came to one day, 2,000. And we, I felt like we were living in something close to like the New Testament um, era. <laughs> yeah. Because it really was God moving. There were very few human levers to pull or push to make this thing happen. And we never dreamed that we'd still be doing passion gatherings all the way up to 2021 and 2022. And who knows how far into the future, but it's been a humbling journey. I'll say that for sure. And it's been, it's good to have that touch point because you see the headlines and the sound bites and the Pew Research Report and the numbers Mm -hmm. and the statistics. And 
I think all that stuff you got to take seriously, and obviously the church, you know, has, does, and always will have flaws, and we've yeah. got to take all that seriously too. But at the same time, when people tell me, you know, young people aren't interested in God, they're not interested in faith, they're mm-hmm. not in, interested in church, and they're not interested in His mission. I'm glad I have this other reference point over That's here right. yeah. of knowing what it sounds like to hear 55,000 18 to 25-year-olds <laughs> in one stadium all lifting up the name of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's so powerful to think about. And, you know, we've been, this is our third week in this series that we're doing called This is the Church. And our hope for this series, one of our hopes has been that it would remind us all as followers of Jesus who we are, first and foremost, as followers of Jesus, as members of his body in the capital C church. So we a call it a you know, singular body. That's yes. right. One body, yeah. one unified body. And it's because we're so skilled these days at dwelling on our differences and actually exploiting differences, a variety of differences to cause division. We are not as skilled and need to become more skilled in identifying what binds us together. Because like you said, the church is unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And what what unifies us is so much stronger. What unifies us has defeated once and for all what doesn't unify us. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah, Jesus was ahead of this all. You know, he right. understood division obviously from the garden on. The enemy is mm-hmm. about division, dividing us from God, dividing us from ourselves. Anxiety is actually means to tear apart. The biblical word for anxiety means just to pull apart, to shred. And so he wants to divide us uh, mentally. A lot of people are struggling with mental division, yeah. family division, friendship division, city division, racial division. The enemy's been selling division since day one. And that's why Jesus said, I'm praying, Father, for this church that you will unify them. And so that's when. Right. In John's gospel, we see those words. We know that, okay, this is a thing. Yeah. And I don't know. Unity is very hard. It's an easy word to rally around. It's a very, very hard reality to actually embody. And I think, you know, it's just been a big challenge for us. We have the privilege, and I don't know how this fits in today, but we've done our best. We're not perfect by any stretch to make passion about Jesus. So we've tried not to make it even about passion, because who cares about passion? We try not to make it about people, try not to make it about a program or a conference or a thing or an event. We've tried to make Mm -hmm. it singularly about the person of Jesus. And in doing that, you look around that stadium and you've got all kind of people representing all streams of the Christian faith in the building. You've got people, you know, who are Reformed over here on one side, you got some Pentecostals over here on the other side, and some Bible church people and some Methodists, and everybody feels safe, I think, on this ground and on this corner, because this corner is the corner. It's the cornerstone. It's Jesus. It's who, who it's all about. And I love how Paul wrote, you know, and he is the head of the church, the yes. firstborn from among the dead. And I love that as much as we see him, savor him, as Piper would say, center on him, proclaim him, live in him, and give our lives for him, I think that's our best chance at uh, actually finding a sense of rhythm and synergy together, unity, if you will, in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. That resonates because that's, you know, it's one of our hopes for She Reads Truth, that it's not about, yeah. you know, it's not, our mission is not women and She Reads Truth every day. It's women in the Word of God every day. Mm-hmm. It is not about the brand name She Reads Truth. It is certainly not about me or you, Rachel. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Although your your name is the Word of God, so, I mean, it's that's true. That. That's true. That was my daddy's last name, so that's my that's my maiden name, and yeah, it was, <laughs> it's fitting, I suppose. But yeah, well, we're excited to dive in and talk about what we're going to be reading as a community this week, in this week three. Yeah, so much of what you've already touched on. You said, I don't know if this fits with this week, and I was like, it does, because you talked about Jesus being the first fruits. And I mean, my goodness, Mm -hmm. we're starting this week. Well, before I say what we're starting with, why don't we just say the things that we'll get to be, well, why don't we give our five topics this week? I mean, will you read those for us? So the way, if you haven't heard the other two weeks yet on this series, the reading days that we're kind of going to walk through and give a preview of for this week 
they all complete the statement, the church is. And so this week we have the church is a royal priesthood. The church is the household of faith. The church is the first fruit of the new creation. The church is commissioned by Christ, and the church is salt and light. Mm-hmm. Five distinct things, but also like a pretty broad, mm-hmm. there's this a broad week that we're covering. Yeah. It's a five-week study, and it's been amazing how beautifully we were able to just pack five full weeks of reading. Just what does Scripture say? about? It turns out Scripture says a lot about <laughs> yeah. the church, and there's a lot of real clarity. There's a lot of things that are not mm-hmm. unclear. But it's beautiful just to remember the simple truth that's so easy to forget that we are one church, mm-hmm. not only here now today, but across time, visible and invisible. And it's just beautiful to remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. All right. The first one this week is the church is a royal priesthood, which I was thinking about this day. If you all, the two of you, if you were not familiar with Scripture and you are sort of approaching this as someone who's really new to Christianity, wouldn't that seem strange? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I think so. Objectively, this is like a little like, what? Uh, Yeah. What have I got myself into here? Help me unpack that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, sometimes we forget that a lot of us have been around the context of faith for a long time, and so we know we're coming from the story of God from day one, and we know that in the beginning, we didn't have the access that we have right now to God. And that's, you know, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that He has torn down every wall and given us the ability to come right into the very presence of a holy God. And Mm -hmm. for people who are just kind of joining on the journey, it wasn't always like that. And in the beginning, God pointed people to be priests, if you will, to speak to God on behalf of the people, to make sacrifice on behalf of the people. There was a high priest among all the priests. And so we're carrying this concept over now from Old Testament where humans were you know, ordained by God to intercede for the people of God to this moment now where Jesus is the ultimate once and for all high priest. And mm-hmm. he's the one that the Hebrews writer talks about who is able to go behind the veil and is able to establish a new covenant between man and God and the one who allows us to have access to God. I just want us to pause on that today and think about it for a moment, yeah. that because of Jesus, we, the three of us, three human beings on a planet of seven and a half billion people, we can come, as the Scripture says, directly to the throne of God, right into the very presence of God. Mm-hmm. I just don't want that to mm-hmm. be lost on us today, that God has made a way for us to come through Jesus to Him. So what does that mean about the church? It means that now all of us are joined together and we all have this common access to God. So we are all in this new royal priesthood. We are those who can come into the presence of God. And and we're not saying to anybody else, you need me or you need us. Mm -hmm. You have Jesus, but we all have Jesus and all of us together having Jesus makes us alive. And so the church is now being built up, as the scripture says, each of us as living stones are being built together into this holy dwelling of the Lord. And I love it. It it just kind of puts everything in context today that the church is spiritual. It's not brick and mortar. The church is flesh and blood. It's people, and it's not just our hands and feet. It's the Spirit of God in us as well. And I think when we think church, we think buildings, and we think denominations, Uh we think about, you know, those kinds of things. But church is more beautiful than that, and it's far more radiant than that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so well put. And that same passage, so what you just alluded to, the living stones being built into a royal priesthood, that First Peter 2 passage goes on to say in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yeah, this lights me up. You know, our mm-hmm. church is, I don't know if this lands with any people, but when people ask me, what's your job as a pastor? I say, well, partly my job is to is be a culture maker and a placemaker. People come to church usually from another church, and so you got all these different ideas of what is church. And so we have a culture document called the Us Book at Passion City Church. And it's not scripture. It's just us trying to describe what kind of community we want to be. What does the church look like in our lives? And 
One of the big banners over our house comes from this passage, and it's that we may. And we talk about it at Passion Mm. City all the time, that I don't come to church or serve because I have to, or I should, or I ought to. I serve that we may. Um, And we weren't, and we are. This text goes on to say, you know, we were not a people, but now we're the people of God. We had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. And that's how this text ends. I love it. Just in my translation, it's a little bit different. This one says, your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may... And my translation just says, that you may. Mm -hmm. That you may do what? That you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out (laughs) of darkness into his marvelous light. And so worship is a privilege. It's uh, what we get to do, that we may declare the praises. And so that spirit, when it gets in you, when this gospel, this is gospel right here in this text, when that gospel gets in you, and transforms you, and you realize what the gospel has done and is doing inside of you, even in this moment. You know, we're being saved right now. We have been Mm -hmm. saved, but the Bible teaches that we are being saved all the way to the very end. We're being saved by God. So when you get that down in your heart, worship becomes completely different because it's not a perfunctory part of being in the church. It's the obvious privilege of being alive from the dead. Amen. Amen. I mean, may it be so. May that you know mm-hmm. that we may and we actually that we exercise that privilege. Mm, I um, love that. Yeah, I'm quick to. We we get a few. Do we have to go to churches yeah. in my house? You know, at the age that my kids are. And well, you like, know, I think we're all there, honestly, <laughs> and none of us have outgrown this in life. But if we can <laughs> stay in, if we can stay in the gospel and stay rooted in the gospel yeah. day by day. It's that attitude of, I may, I may give today. What a privilege. I may give today to the kingdom of God. I may give into people's eternal destiny today. I may pick up a broom and sweep in the house of God today. I may hold the door in the house of God today. What, What a privilege. Yes. You know, the other thing that I love about this day and this concept of royal priesthood, you know, like you said, Louis, like not everyone comes to this going like, oh yeah, obviously the mm-hmm. concept of priesthood makes sense. But like the history of that is all the way back to Jacob, you know, and the 12, he has 12 sons and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of the sons is Levi and Levi's, his portion is that the Levites are the priests. In fact, it says in Joshua that their inheritance is God himself. Right. But they are the ones like you talked about that do the work of interceding for the people Mm -hmm. going to God on our behalf, which now Christ has done. But then we get to read about that in today's reading from Hebrews chapter 8. Every Levitical priest had a job, and he had to stand, and he had to do the work. But in Hebrews 8, we get to read, now the main point of what I—I love this. I love that, like, now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. Louis, what is the significance there that our great high priest has sat down? Hmm. Yeah, well, and the context is would be obvious for people here that are hearing this. You know, Hebrews is written to a to a Jewish mindset to help bridge for them a full understanding of the finished work of Jesus. And Mm -hmm. so they've got a cultural understanding and lens when they're hearing these words. And when you sit down, it means you're finished. You're done. (laughs) You (laughs) don't sit down until the work is done. And so when Jesus says He's now seated, this is not a sign of comfort or ease or Mm -hmm. casualness. It, It means completion. It means no more is to be done. And so what would that mean for someone today? Well, we're talking about church, but maybe you're still struggling with guilt or with shame or with a a decision you made or something that's in your past, and you're still trying to work it out, and you're still standing up, and you're still hustling, trying to make it right with God, but God is sitting down because Mm -hmm. He already made it right with God. Mm, And so just embrace that today, that that Jesus has sat down. That means He did enough to pay the full price for all of our wrong, and Amen. He's done enough to invite us in 
to be alive, sons and daughters of the King. And I love this Mm. phrase. I've always loved this verse because it says, we have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the capital M majesty in the heavens. (laughs) And not just at the throne of God or the throne of the Almighty, but at the throne of the majesty. And the Hebrews writer gives us this same idea in a couple of places, and it just makes me realize that this is just not about nuts and bolts today. We're not, guys, Mm -hmm. we're not just like opening up some amazing book and talking about some incredible concepts. We're talking about the majesty here. We're talking about (laughs) awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, fall-down-on-your-face glory. Jesus has opened a way for all of us to enter into that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And now the sacrifice that we make, the offering that we give, is that of of our lives, mm-hmm. of living as worship. Mm-hmm. That all of life is worship to the Majesty. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, you guys, I don't know how you how you got me hooked up on this particular week, but two of maybe the texts that are banners over my life are mm-hmm. in this day in this Hebrews oh, wow. thirteen fifteen one which is the same idea you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we think about Romans 12, the verse you're referring to, offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. But yeah. worship for me is most clearly defined by this other text we've got in today, Hebrews 13, 15. This is so incredible, and especially if you add on verse 16 as well. It says, therefore, through Jesus, I like to use uh, his name mm-hmm. uh, instead of the pronouns, and I know you guys do too, mm-hmm. through Jesus, because that's we know the context, that's who we're talking about, let us, that's all of us in the church now, that's the three of us today, mm-hmm. continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. In other words, we're not talking about the three songs before the message that's right. or <laughs> having a worship track on in my Spotify playlist. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a life, everything Mm -hmm. I do as an offering to God. And Mm -hmm. then he defines it in case you don't get that. He says, that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. So singing is a part of it, praising him is a part of it, telling him how great he is is part of it. But then verse 16 says, and do not, I think I'm going to get this right, and I have my scripture open right to it, and do not neglect doing good Mm. and sharing with others, for with these sacrifices, God is pleased. And so we get the fullness of our whole life. It's lips, yes. Is it a song? Yes. Is it proclaiming His name? Yes. But it's also doing good when you see wrong, do good, and care for those who are in need. And when you combine all those things, then you're offering to God what He really wants. I know we love to sing songs of praise, and I know God calls for them, so He loves that too. But what he wants most from us is our obedience, our affection, our gaze, our attention, and he mm-hmm. wants our availability to reach out and be his hands and feet in the world. And that's what our worship is. Yeah. Yes. So when not just our book says, but when scripture says mm-hmm. that we are, as a church, the royal priesthood, we have a great high priest who is seated, and yeah. we are little priests offering worship every day, but it's not a burnt offering, it's our life. Like our burnt offering is our time, it is our mm-hmm. words, it is yeah, our worship, so is our actions. And yeah. so when you think about the church as a royal priesthood, every one of us participating in that, like how is the world different? Because the church is the royal Mm -hmm. priesthood of God. And we're not wearing our righteousness. Our sacrifices, our offerings are acceptable because we're clothed Mm -hmm. in the righteousness of the accepted one, of of Jesus. And so we don't ever stand before God apart from Jesus anymore. That's it's it's radical. It's yeah. crazy. I love it. We can all go home now. We're not we're not bringing him something to accomplish something. That's right. We're bringing him oh. something because he has accomplished everything, and that's just a, and a well, beautiful and a free yeah. way to. I mean, you know, that that's you know the difference between the ritual and you know here I'm coming to offer and do my best, hoping that God is going to recognize that and you know, attribute to me some merit or credit today yeah. versus coming in going, the debt is paid, he's seated, he's finished, he's done, the work mm-hmm. is done. Yeah. I am saved, I am free, I am holy, I am in Christ, I am a new creation, and therefore, 
It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I'm going to praise him anyway because of what he's done for me. Amen. And he hasn't changed. He doesn't change with our circumstances. Mm. Yeah. So I want to, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking like, why is this not a whole study? Like, I just want to talk about, but (laughs) here's the great thing. Actually, y'all listening, this fall, we are going to be spending several weeks in the book of Leviticus together. Come on. Um, Buckle up, everybody. And you know what we're going to follow that with? The book of Hebrews. We're going Leviticus to Hebrews this fall, and I'm so excited to like dig deeper into why, like all of the beauty, goodness, and truth in that book of Leviticus that for many people stop like trips them up as they're reading through the Bible or whatever it is, but like the truth of the book of Leviticus, the law there, and then mm-hmm. matching that with what happens in Hebrews. Anyway, I'm real it makes this conversation makes me excited <laughs> am, about it. I'm the excited fall. slash nervous slash excited. Yeah. In that order. Hey friends, I want to take a quick break to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, August Cloth. Now listen, I am just not a good shopper. When it comes to finding new clothes, I feel like I just endlessly search for clothes that fit well, that feel amazing, and that give me the effortless style that I really want to wear. And so essentially, I just feel like I need someone to do the shopping for me. Can you relate to that at all? (laughs) This is why I'm excited to tell you about one of our favorite online boutiques. August Cloth is owned by a fellow she who reads truth named Crystal. And we've been browsing their spring and summer collections. And let me tell you, I felt instant relief because Crystal and her team curate collections that allow us to shop easily and just love what we live in. They even offer video try-ons in multiple sizes for every new style. So you can see what the clothes are really going to look like on you. I mean, how great is that? Even more than cute clothes, Crystal is a fellow adoptive mama. You know that means a lot to me. And she's passionate about caring for women and children in crisis. And so August Cloth partners with local foster care agencies or pregnancy centers every year to provide support to families in need. So when you shop at August Cloth, you get to be a part of that too. So essentially, what I'm saying to you is you need to check this out. After the show, jump on to augustcloth.com and use our listener discount for 15% off. The code is SRT15. And you can also follow August Cloth on Instagram or Facebook at August Cloth in new collections shop every Thursday. So that's augustcloth.com and use the discount code SRT15 for 15% off your purchase. All right, back to the show. The Tuesday reading of this week is The Church is the Household of Faith. And this beautiful truth about the church, I'm going to read actually the summary statement from the book for this day, says the church is a spiritual family, God's household, made up of men, women, and children adopted as co-heirs with Christ. And it is, I love that the Lord, it's it's almost like He did this on purpose, Mm. brought you to us for this podcast series and for this specific week, because (laughs) talking about the church as the household of faith makes me think of your newest book that you just released in March, but also even the one before that, talking about being at the table with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and everything that we just talked about is kind of our... How did we get to the table with Jesus? But tell us a little bit about At the Table with Jesus. I wrote a book. The book came out last year called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Yeah. Okay. Uh, nine words that mm-hmm. changed my life. And I don't. I can't take credit for the title. They're not my nine words. I don't know who started them, but I know I received them in a text from a friend in a really low place in life. And mm-hmm. This was several years ago, coming through a really fiery storm, and I had gotten a little bit of vindication in a voicemail. I don't know if anybody else likes getting vindication or not, but um, (laughs) I got some vindication, and so I immediately reached out for some commiseration. Uh And so I texted someone who I knew would have my back, and I said, you're not going to believe what I just heard. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, telling them all about it and how it, you know, we knew we just hang in here. People would see, you know, the truth and all that stuff. And all that was a front for me just needing human commiseration. And that's pretty sad, but it was reality of where I was that day. And I sent this long text. I'll make it short. And I'm staring at my phone. It's one of those kind of texts that you're just going to stare till you get the response. And (laughs) 
finally I get a little blurb back and I'm like, okay, that's certainly not the whole text. I'm waiting for the um, hit send too soon. Here's the rest of it. Nothing <laughs> else came. So finally I focused on the words and this friend loved me enough to know that I didn't need commiseration. I needed a wake up call. And they texted me and said, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And standing at the top of my driveway, I just, it was like a lightning bolt went through my heart. And I was like, what have I been doing for the last six months? I have just been agonizing and staring at the ceiling at night and trying to control the narrative and control all the outcomes and had all this stress and distress. And it's the enemy sitting right at my table. Mm. And so I just decided that day I was going to take back my table, take back the table of my mind. And it led me to Psalm 23, the Lord prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies, in the battle, in the storm, in the Mm. conflict. So this became a message and it resonated with people like it did with me. And guys, I'm not talking about eight years ago in a book title. I mean, like this week, I had to say, (laughs) I'm not going to give the enemy a seat at my table. That thought, that can't stay here. That idea can't stay here. That, That negativity can't stay here. And so that's who we don't want at our table. So you don't uh, win by fighting lies. You win by uh, reading the truth, guys. Amen. That's what <laughs> um, I hear. That's what they tell us. You don't win by <laughs> saying, I'm not going to believe that. 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 Every time you say you're not going to believe the lie, you're repeating the lie. So you win by, mm. by focusing on the truth. And so we released a 66-day devotion called At the Table with Jesus. It's really that's a Christology. Good. It just studies the, some of the great attributes of Jesus, like we're doing today, that He's mm-hmm. the Lord of hosts, and we break that down for six days, that He's our friend. We break that down from Scripture for six days. A neuroscientist told me in one of the interviews I did after the book that it takes 66 days on average to create a new habit, and that you can really, truly, literally create a new neuropathway mm. in your mind by focusing on anything for 66 days, positive or negative. And so we're hoping people will sit down with Jesus and A, learn from Him, but Mm -hmm. B, just be with Him. I'm excited for the journey. Oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, thank you for taking time to tell us about that. I, When I think about tables, I think about sharing meals, Mm -hmm. and I think about fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that really is, you know, what you're describing. It's sitting with Jesus and hearing from him and yeah. and letting that be the truth that that we let the, and not not another a truth adjacency or a truth yeah, or yeah. a falsehood or a lie or an almost truth in this reading day we get to see Jesus kind of redefine family and not like to say that our and this is one of your favorite words. Earthly families <laughs> are not. She really dislikes that word. Um, are not, like not important, but to broaden to say, like our spiritual family is even realer <laughs> than mm-hmm. what we think of when yeah. we think of family. Rachel, will you read this? This interaction from Jesus yeah. here in Matthew twelve is so interesting. It used to be a real head scratcher for me, and I mean, still is. But I'll read it. You solve it. Oh, perfect. Damn. No, pass. I'm pass it to Louie. Okay, go <laughs> okay, ahead. Okay, starting in verse 46. While Jesus was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I mean, the the definition of family expands into the spiritual family. I mean, it's the thing that we read in Galatians that we're heirs, like we're adopted as uh-huh. sons and heirs. And as all of us are adopted, we are all a part of a family. Yeah. But a royal family. Yeah. And I think, you know, what Jesus is doing, I think, constantly in the Gospels is he's trying to help people understand the, the true kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. In Matthew, particularly, he's... he's proclaiming that this thing, this earthly thing, to use our word, <laughs> is is not the thing. It is a thing, but it's not the thing. That's the right. thing is a spiritual kingdom. And so he's trying to he's trying to up the understanding quotient for people. And here he's doing that again. He's not saying he doesn't love his mom. He loves her right to the end um, right. on the cross. 
he's saying that you're looking at this through a narrow lens, and I need you to be looking at it through a lot broader lens. You're looking at this and trying to interpret me through the human lens, and I, I want yeah, you to good. interpret everything through the spiritual, godly kingdom lens. So he's just turning the telescope around, and sometimes we miss the point in, in a text like this, and we'll be like, man, why is Jesus, you know, like, throwing shade on his family. He's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you have to A, just read all of Matthew, and then you'll get a better context. But even just understanding, he's trying to turn the telescope around so that we can see something great yeah. and not be micro-focused on something small, because where he's inviting us into, as we're talking about right now, is far greater than any of us have ever imagined. And, you know, it made me think about heaven this section, by the way, it just made me think about heaven. And I've only one time been in a gathering of people that I couldn't process. I went to this gathering a few decades ago on the Washington Mall. It was a Promise Keepers event. And there were literally, and I know there's been all these numbers thrown around, but there were more than a million men there. And I was standing on a little plastic crate so that I could see over people and I couldn't see to the end of anything. So in any direction, it's like, I can't see the end of people that way, that way, that way, or that way. And my brain was just going, like, I don't know what to do with this, what I'm seeing right now. I've never seen this many people before, and I can't see all the people. I just all of a sudden was on the ground on my face thinking, oh, my word, this family of God, heaven, heaven, mm-hmm. people. Can you imagine heaven? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every language, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, millions and millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people around the throne of God. And we're in that. And in that moment, what Jesus is saying, we're not going to go, oh, yeah, my wife and I now, we're going to, you know, whatever. It's going to be like, Shelly's going to be there. But everything is going to be blown up and on a level that we really can't fully comprehend right now. And that's what Jesus was just foreshadowing a little bit of in this text. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, he's not saying it's good or it's bad or he's saying this is even better. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is so often the way that Jesus changes our perspective. No, I have something that's even better. Yeah. Yeah. And the better, better to me is that, you know, we're children. I loved one of the texts in this week. I don't know how fast you guys were going to go down the text, but Take us there. this we're First going. John 3 is one that has always blown my heart up. It says, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. <laughs> and then this is my favorite part of the verse, and we are. Right. And we are. <laughs> yeah. And I think if we could get that simplicity of that, that we're not cogs in a big machine, mm-hmm. we're not members on a, on a roll, we're not a number on a church attendance chart, we are children of God. And, you know, the world got fascinated by 23 and Me a couple of years ago, <laughs> and I think it's more about the three in Me, you know, <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's my family mm-hmm. tree. Yeah. That's where I came from. Yeah. That's who I am. And I'm born again. You know, John said it a different way in the gospel when he said, born not of flesh nor the will of man or blood, but born of God. I mean, think about that. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For you to title a book at the table with Jesus because of the gospel, that makes sense to talk about fellowshipping at the table with God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and like just it just is in making these definitions plain, it you know, it also makes plain what what a work God has done how astonishing in the world it is. and how astonishing yeah. it is yeah. the work that he has done in us and that he continues to do and that we are part of that. It's incredible that he even would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Wednesday, we already touched on this. You you went there before you even Open the book, Louie. <laughs> um, the church is the first fruits of the new creation. Mm. Oh, I love this one because you know when you start talking new creation, we don't actually read any revelation in this day, but in my heart, in my, in our hearts, some, are. my yeah. heart is reading some revelation. The thing is, if this book, if this study, this reading plan is about our identity as mm-hmm. the church, like what is my identity? Like what does it mean 
that I am the first fruits of the new creation. Like, that's what I love. I'm like, glad that you asked. Uh, please tell we're me. Gonna, yes. we're going to find out. So the summary statement in the book for this day says, the church is a display of Christ's active work in making all things new. Amen. As citizens of the eternal kingdom of God, we live in this world yet long for our true and eternal home, just like you standing on the... The was it the mall, the mm-hmm. Washington Mall? Is yeah. that what you said? Yeah. And longing for your true and eternal home. And I love reading from we're gonna talk in a couple of weeks about how the church is called to prayer. Mm-hmm. We're gonna talk a little bit about prayer then, but I love that we get to see in this reading day from John 17 where Jesus prays. Yeah for himself, for his disciples, and for all Which um, Louis already alluded to earlier. That's he was right. Like, and then in John 17, I was like, oh, we're getting there. We're getting uh-huh, there. <laughs> uh-huh. Where Jesus prays, like, I pray that they would be one as yeah. I and the Father are one. Let's read. Louis, will you read that for us? John 17, maybe starting in verse 9. It says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Mm. Yep. Amen. So good. And then I, I love the you know, the sanctify them by your truth. Yeah, Remember I have that? given them mm-hmm. your word. <laughs> There's just so many beautiful things in this prayer. To get to like eavesdrop. Yeah, let's read on, the end of that. I yeah, kinda, finish reading I kind of jumped like, out midway, but let's keep just going. read that the, the very last part of it, or I'll read all the rest of it. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. Mm -hmm. I have given them your word. What a great line. (laughs) The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word Mm -hmm. is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. That's a hard passage to summarize. (laughs) I found myself at a loss for Mm. words. It's like you said that, that what a line, right? I have given them your word, and he is the word. Yeah, I never really saw the beautiful play on words in that line until just now today. Mm -hmm. And I I love when things happen like that. You know, I've given them your word. Um, That's pretty powerful play on words. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's given it all. Yeah. I'm giving them your word so they can count on you. Oh, I'm giving them the word, which is us. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love in this passage is just the sort of snapshot of, you know, why are we all here? And we're here to be representatives of Him mm-hmm. in this world right now. And I think so many people are fixated on, you know, is this the end? And I'm not saying that's not a, a bad topic, but God isn't ready for us to get out of the world. He wants us to be in the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. So, so many times I think we're asking Him to take us out, like, get us out of this, get us out of this situation, get us off this planet, get us out of all this crazy that we're living in. And He says, that's not what I'm focused on today. I need you to be in the world today. I need you to be my royal priesthood. (laughs) I need you to be my people today. But then He says, but that you protect them, not from, you think He's going to say, from the world. Because the world's all crazy. And he says, no, I'm not saying protect them from the world. I'm saying protect them from the evil one. So I just think that gives us that freedom to know today that maybe God isn't trying to press the eject button and get somebody out of that stressful relationship with their coworker or the tension they're having in their neighborhood right now with a few of the neighbors or... Maybe he doesn't want to eject them out of the you know the chemo ward today. Maybe he's got them in the world, just saying, "Don't let the enemy get to you today, because I'm sanctifying you by truth." Meaning, I'm I'm making you more and more of who 
I've created you to be by the Word today. So hang in there with the Word and let the Word change you yeah. in the world. Yeah. And we are evidence, the church, that God is making all things new because He's made us new. We have a new life mm-hmm. in Christ, and we have the Spirit in us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have the hope. We are where God has us right now, where Jesus said, like, have keep them there. But we also have the hope mm-hmm. of, like, He's the first fruit, but we get yeah. to go where He's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's immediately Romans 8. I know, and I love... There are some headings. I know that the headings are not inspired in my Bible, <laughs> but some of them I just love so much. And the, the CSB has Romans 8, 18. The section title is From Groans to Glory. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, first of all, I love alliteration. So good job, yes. CSB yes. Translation Committee. But also, it just is such a vivid image and an accurate image. But I love this in verse 21. Creation itself will also be set free mm-hmm. from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. So like, what is happening within us is mm. also coming to pass around us. Yeah, wow. yeah. Amanda, I want you to read that whole passage. And y'all listening, as she does, like, hear the timing language. Like, we're going to get, like, this present time, but also going to be. And, like, wait, anticipation, mm-hmm. was, will also be. Like, there's so much, like, like it's the already and the not yet. It's this is, mm, yeah. this is now, and this will be, and there's just so much hope in that. Will you read that passage for us? Yeah, so this is Romans 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in the hope Mm. that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, there's our word, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Mm -hmm. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Mm. A lot of mm. eager, a lot of eagerness. Now, waiting eagerly with patience is difficult. That's a real puzzler. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a paradox. We look to it. That's yeah, right. It's so beautiful. When y'all think about your identity as the church, mm-hmm. as the first fruits of the new creation, like, that's significant, and there's so much promise and hope there. Yeah, and it's such a powerful calling, too. Yes. I think that maybe we're missing out on that, um, mm-hmm. that what we are is a picture for the world of what is to come. And yeah. maybe we yeah. forgot that because it seems like I get stuck, and sometimes uh, we all get stuck trying to look like the world instead of showing the world something that the world hasn't yet seen. Mm. Yeah, that's a good word. Yes, yes. Mm. Now, Thursday, had I had to make, just from my memory or knowledge, a list of who the church is and what the church does, I would have gotten this one. You would have gotten this one. Okay, great. (laughs) The church is commissioned by Christ. We know this. I know this because you think church, you think, oh, yeah, you think like, Matthew 28, go into all the world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so we're going to read that on Matthew 28, the Great Commission on this day. You're going to read from Matthew 10, which starts, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. Mm-hmm. How about that? I I mean, y'all know our how important to us the work of the organization Illuminations has been, and we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks, but this work of bringing Scripture to all nations, and not in 200 years, but in our lifetime, like participating in the work of the Great Commission. So when on this day we're reading Matthew 28, we can't not read it. I want to read the Great Commission. It's like God that I just recorded a message for Sunday, yesterday, because I'm going to be away on Sunday. And I'm preaching around at the table with Jesus, and I just was preaching on what can you expect at the table with Jesus? Like, if you go read the Mm -hmm. Yelp reviews, you know, what should you (laughs) expect at this meal? 
And the last thing about Jesus I wanted people to know is, is that eventually he's going to get up from the table and he's going to say, come with me. And I read the Great Commission. And we used to preach on it all the time. Every believer used to know the Great Commission. It used to be like part of the fabric of Mm -hmm. following Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it kind of fell by the wayside. The whole idea of missions fell by the wayside. And I think some of that's connected. I don't want to get too much into the you know, the fabric, the global fabric of where people are right now. But I think when the exclusivity of Jesus is weakened, then the Great Commission becomes irrelevant. Yeah. I saw uh, someone a say word. a few days ago, what's the greatest uh, challenge coming against the church? And we're talking about the church today. Mm-hmm. And his answer was, I think what's been stirring in my heart, he said that people would want to undermine the authority of the Word of God. Yeah. And he said, but not solely to undermine the authority of the Word of God, to undermine the authority of the Word of God, so that then they could undermine the uniqueness of the person of Jesus. But not just to undermine the uniqueness of the person Hmm. of Jesus, so that they then thirdly and lastly could make the message of the gospel irrelevant. And uh, man, I think this is uh, this is where the church must wake up and understand. This is the oxygen that we're all breathing on planet Earth right now in the earthly realm, and that's why Jesus, you know, closes out his communication in Matthew's gospel with this message. It's not you need something to do. Yeah, it's this is who I am, and if I am truly the Son of God, if I am truly the Savior of the world then you, therefore, have to herald that, because how are the peoples of earth going to know unless you are the herald? So I think we should read the Great Commission, and we should celebrate it again today. And if you want to know Jesus, by the way, do sit down at the table. But if you really want to know him, go tell the world about him, because he said he'd be with you if you did that all the way to the end of the age. That's right. Amen. I mean, here are the birthing words of the church right here, right? The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee. This is from Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. They went to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hmm. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So, so beautiful. And a way that we do that, y'all, on Friday, the church is salt and light. That this, these are not just words that we're saying. This is a, these are lives that we're living, mm-hmm. right? Which we've a lot of this. I love how this kind of weaves in and out. This is all very. It's like this very, reading plan was organized like, on purpose. It's <laughs> like they tried really hard. They tried yeah, really hard. Yeah. But that as a continuation of Christ's ministry on earth, or His earthly ministry, we're gonna see how many times we're gonna break a record here. Yeah, Rachel. just like a little ring a bell. Um, good. The church acts as salt and light in a decaying and dark world around us, mm-hmm. and that I mean, just beautiful and also weighty. Like that's a weighty call mm-hmm. that's to right. be salt and light. We are unfortunately getting close to the end <laughs> of our time, so I want Louie, I want you to pick what we talk about. For this day, is there any of these passages? And it's all so good. We've got the Good Samaritan. We've got Salt and Light. We've got Sheep and Goats. Mm. <laughs> so much. <laughs> what are you thinking? You know, I, I don't think you can improve on Jesus' words when he said, you are the light of the world. Yeah. And this is a powerful turn because he's already proclaimed that he is the light of the world. Right. And so now he's shifting the focus a little bit and he's saying, I am, but I am now in you. So he's not saying we're now Jesus. He's just saying, if the world is going to see light, it's going to have to see light in you. You are the light of the world. Why? Because you have Christ living in you. So he gives them this picture, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Mm. 
I think sometimes we gloss over the fact that that feels like it runs counter to don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing and oh, uh, yeah. humble yourselves before the hand of God and put others before yourself. Let the first be the last. The greatest among you is the servant of all. And then he's saying, no, let your good works be seen by all the people around you, mm. not so that you can get credit, but so that God can get glory. And I mm-hmm. think that this is what the church is all about. Our church that I'm sitting in right now, the, the building of our church, that I'm one of the buildings of our church that I'm in right now where I come to work every day, is at 515 Garson Drive in Atlanta, Georgia. It doesn't have the name Passion City Church anywhere on the building. It's this big old Home Depot Expo Design Center that's all painted white, <laughs> and it just says our address on it, 515. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some lights hanging down in the entryway, and people think we're a lighting store. We've had more than a few people drive in thinking this is where you come to get your chandelier and your your new uh, dining room light. <laughs> it's like it is, 515. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. So that's an individual invitation today, but it's also the corporate function mm-hmm. of the church is to okay. to brighten communities, to bring light into darkness, to expose things that are evil, and to show a way for people. People right now want to know, how do I navigate through this darkness? And to see believers out there, I love that you said this isn't a pastor's job. This is people. This is God's people's opportunity to see people just carrying lights. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I think, look around and see that someone's coming behind you going, thank you for that light. I needed Mm -hmm. light. I didn't know how to navigate this right now. It's a beautiful invitation and an incredible calling for all of us. Yeah. I mean, and when we learn about our identity, it informs our practice. So you ask, you know, how is my city brighter? Because my church is in it or because I'm in it. How is my street lighter and brighter because I live on it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that that is the light of Jesus yes. that we're shining and not just... I love that. I yeah, love that. It's so good. This conversation has blessed me so much. Louie, I'm so grateful. I wish that the hour wasn't over. I do too. I do too. I need a part two really badly, but... Mm-hmm. We're um, bringing you back for Leviticus. That's right. <laughs> it's a date. We're so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for just mm-hmm. not just sharing your time, which is a sacrifice of its own, but to share your wisdom and... Just, you've been in, how many years have you been in ministry? I don't know. I'm 64 years old in a couple of months or so. I probably started uh, my first, like, you know, driving up the road from here to Gainesville and speaking to nine high school kids on a a Tuesday night when I was in college. So it's been a minute. It's (laughs) been a minute. And you know what? We were, we were talking, having a similar conversation, not about, we were talking about business and, and how like, there are things that can be said in a short sentence that you look at that short sentence of wisdom and think, wow, that really took me a long, painful time to learn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's such an honor and a privilege to get to hear from you and hear your heart for the Lord and what He has taught you in that many years of ministry. Like to get the, the, what you say is right. has a lot of a lot of backstory to it, and we're grateful. I want to read this as a benediction over us. This is also from the Friday reading. It's from 2 Corinthians 4, and it's verses 5 and 6. And I just, this is my prayer for the three of us, for our respective church families, for our cities, and for the church as a whole. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, please, Lord, make it so, Mm -hmm. but Jesus Christ as Lord, Mm -hmm. and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Mm, Let it be. Let it be so, Mm. Lord. Amen. We pray that over you and your church, Louie, as we say goodbye today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to you guys for having me. Thanks for what you do. And I just pray the favor of God on you, which I know you have because you're pointing people to Jesus. He is the living Word of God, and it's a real privilege to be a part of this today, and just reading the Word together with you today has done something great in my heart as well. So, Mm -hmm. what an honor. Keep going. Go strong. Thank you. God bless you guys. 
And listen, thank you so much. And friends listening, as you walk forward into this week, as you are women and men in the Word of God every day this week, walk as a royal priesthood, Hmm. as the household of faith, as the first fruits of the new creation. Walk commissioned by Christ as salt and light. Walk differently because of Jesus. I literally, I just realized I sat up straight as you talked yeah. as you said <laughs> okay. those words okay. all right i'm listening i'm yeah. listening well friends listening we have a beautiful episode coming next week as well with dr christina edmondson week four of this is the church but until next week louis what do we tell our friends keep opening your bibles 